Inter Miami picked up another point for its season haul, but it could have possibly been a three if not for a controversial decision from the referee. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, aka Miami Total Football Radio. I'm Franco Penizo, one half of your hosting team here on Miami Total Football Radio, and joining me, as always, is the other half, Steve El Primo Brenner. Steve, how are you doing this week? I know you uh, had an eventful Mother's Day, but how are you doing today? Very, very well. Was it eventful? Were you there? I mean, I, I, I'm unaware of what, what this eventful day was, because it certainly wasn't where I was. Every, it was nice. Every well, day in the life of Steve Brenner is, is eventful. Well, well, that's it. Yeah, but I was keeping abreast of the scores as I sat down for my meal. And uh, even though I was getting glares from Mrs. Primo, um, <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, following along. And I looked sounded like a good point until I actually got back and then saw the, the penalty decision, which was an absolute stinker, uh, which I'm sure we're going we're gonna to touch on. But um, the, the results are still coming in. It's not three points. It's a point. They're not off the back of five or six defeats. So, um, you know, progress, slow progress, but they're getting there. Well, we're going to talk about that penalty kick, no call. We're going to talk about the refereeing in this game because that's a big talking point from this one. A lot of people are still very upset about that. A lot of Inter-Miami fans are still have their blood boiling over over those calls. Phil Neville was pretty wound up after the game. We'll, we'll touch on all of that. We're going to preview this game against CF Montreal on Wednesday at Drive Pink Stadium. Another Inter-Miami home game, a midweek match, so a very quick turnaround for the team. And we'll also answer your questions at the end of the show. But again, if you are new to us or you're new to the pod, please give us a follow on all our social media channels. That's Miami Total Football on YouTube and Facebook and at MIA Total Football on Instagram and Twitter. We have different type of content for each of the different social media services. So follow us on the ones you like and stay tuned with us because we always have daily content, be it interviews or press conferences or analysis a bunch of different stuff we're going to get steve on there very shortly i promise you guys that i know i've been saying that for a few weeks but we're going to get steve on there very shortly he already has a new twitter profile picture you can actually now know what steve brenner looks like one step at a time yeah i mean speak to my agent (laughs) can you give us a quick story about about that profile picture i saw saw someone give you some some snark on there for for i was a friend of mine yeah he did give me a bit of uh grief um i literally was sat again there's there's no real story with it i mean i was sat down on my sofa and i took a picture and i thought it looked good but maybe not so maybe (laughs) i'll have to change it's kind of pensive sort of look into the sort of abyss um i may may need to change that yeah my modeling days are you know so far so far gone now you know sometimes i just forget it's an it's an primo selfie and it's fantastic. It is fantastic. It only adds to your lore here on Miami Total oh, well, Football. But we have a lot to talk about in the short order. So, Steve, let's get to it. Okay, Steve. So, as we know, Inter Miami played to a one-to-one draw with Atlanta United at Drive Pink Stadium on Sunday. And it didn't start all that well for this one. Not only does Blaise Matuti pick up an injury early on that he plays through for a little bit, but Joseph Martinez scores... In the ninth minute, his first goal for Atlanta United since he suffered his knee injury 
and he gets it against Inter Miami. Blaise Matuidi has to go out shortly thereafter, and Phil Neville's forced into some personnel changes, and Inter Miami just did not play very well. They ultimately improve in the second half, and they get a goal from Lewis Morgan in the 77th minute. Good little solo effort there from him with a hard low finish to the near post. Inter Miami evens it up at 1-1. to Now, the biggest talking point probably from this one was what happened in the 91st minute. Gonzalo Higuain plays a heck of a ball from the wing. A spectacular cross. He even fell. That's, that's how much power he had to get behind it. But he puts up pinpoint ball on Victor Ulloa's vicinity. Victor Ulloa directs it towards goal, albeit somewhat clumsily. Brad Guzan spills the save. They both chase after the loose ball in the penalty area. There's a collision. Ulloa requests for a penalty kick or protests for a penalty kick. He doesn't get it. And that's what Inter Miami was fuming about after the whistle, immediately on the field, and then even, obviously, you know, Phil Neville post-game. So let's do just a quick look at the lineup, the starting lineup, before we, we get into all of it. John McCarthy was in goal. Victor Ulloa was playing as a makeshift right back because Kelvin Neerdam and Nicolas Vigal were both out with injuries. Ryan Shawcross at right center back. Leandro Gonzalez Pires at left center back. Breck Shea gets the start, his first start of the season, at left back. Then you had Gregori at the six. Blaise Matuidi at the eight. On the right, Lewis Morgan. Up in the number 10 spot was Jay Chapman. And on the left wing was Rodolfo Pizarro. And starting at your number nine spot was Gonzalo Higuain. Blaise Matuidi, Matuidi wore the captain's armband to start. Now, we've touched on the nuts and bolts of the game, the meat and potatoes. What was your takeaway from that controversial no-call? Do you agree that it was tight, but you think it should be an Inter-Miami penalty kick, or are you of a different thought? I mean, yeah, the old cliche, you've seen them given. I just think in, in those situations when... It was weird, wasn't it? It was a, it was a missed shot by Aloha, and then it was a really poor initial save by Brad Guzan. And then, he, you know, he made contact. He made contact with him. It's, it's quite simple. You know, if that would have been... It's, you can't really say it with the goalkeeper. But, you know, if that would have been in any other part of the pitch and it would have been, a, you know, a similar sort of coming together, it doesn't really work the goalkeeper. But that would have been, it would have been a free kick. You know, it, it, was, it was a blatant, blatant penalty. Um, you know, and, and no no wonder they were they were so furious afterwards, whether or not because it was in the, in the stoppage time, you know, the ref was maybe a little a little bit hesitant. But I, I, I'd love to know, and unfortunately we don't get a chance to speak to the officials, you know, what the rationale was behind them not giving that a penalty because, you know, Aloha would have got the ball as well, wouldn't he? So, and because and, I made contact with him. So, no, I can understand why they were, why they were uh, rather angry. So I'm not sure how it's working right now across the league in terms of asking questions to officials because you're right that we you know it's standard that in MLS you don't get to speak directly to the referees after the games via an interview. Has that ever been the case? I mean, it doesn't that doesn't happen in Europe? But... Well, again, so MLS in the past has allowed, and I don't know how it's been affected by the pandemic. Maybe it's something we should inquire about. But in the past, it has allowed teams to designate, the home teams to designate a reporter, a media member, to ask questions, written questions, towards the referees on any potential calls, usually controversial calls. And the referees can respond in however short or long of a response they want to, writtenly, on a piece of paper. Dear Steve, go away. (laughs) Um, 
So n- nobody was able to ask. I don't. Again, I don't know if that's a shortcoming or not. Sorry, no, I mean, you know, I know I wasn't there, but I mean, the VAR. Surely the VAR should have kicked in at that point, no? I, I think so. I think VAR should have taken a look at it. I mean, now Phil Noble says it was reviewed, so that's obviously not by the head official, but by the VAR official, right? And they determined that it was not a clear and obvious mistake on the field, that it was not worthy of a second look, not a clear and obvious foul or penalty kick. Look, I, cool. I, yeah, think, cool. I, I think seeing it live, I did not think it was a penalty kick initially. I just, from the press box, I just thought um, Brad Guzan got to the ball more or less around the same time Uyoa did, and, and the ball just popped out. Now, seeing it on replay and slowing it down, after the game and looking at it frame by frame and being able to pause, I did think I did think it was a penalty kick. And I thought it was a penalty kick because of the follow-through that Brad Guzan has in his dive attempt to win the ball. Because, again, I think they both have a right to go for that loose ball after Ulloa knees the ball. That, you know, Gonzalo Higuain hits a cross, and rather than volley it on target... Uyoa kind of knees it pretty awkwardly on frame. Guzan spills it. The ball's loose in the penalty area. They both have a right to go for that loose ball. They both kind of get there more or less at the same time. Maybe Uyoa a fraction of a second before. Guzan gets a piece of it so the shot doesn't go in on, into the goal. But the follow-through from Guzan and how his body takes Uyoa out and trips him up, that prevents Uyoa from racing to the ball and maybe tapping in that second rebound. So I think that, to me, is why it should have been a penalty kick. And Phil Neville was of the belief this week that the referees got it wrong. Whereas a week ago against Nashville, he said he thought the referees got it right in terms of that no red card that they did not give to Walker Zimmerman for the foul on Robbie Robinson. This time he thought they clearly got it wrong. Let's take a listen to what he had to say after the game. 100% a penalty. I think we should have had two, maybe. Uh, poor refereeing. I, I, I think that's fair. I, I praised the referee last week. Uh, that is 100% a penalty. I've seen it four times. It got reviewed. So whoever's reviewed it has let the referee down. Uh, but, but we'll put that in the report. So Steve, we've heard from Phil Neville there. And he said they will include that VAR or the video review referee did not get it right in their post-game report. So you are 100% in agreement with Phil Neville here that it was a penalty kick and that it should have at least gone to VAR because, look, you can get that call wrong on the field. Five years ago when there was no VAR, that would just be part of the game and it is what it is. But with VAR, you know, these mistakes should not happen. So you're in agreement. A, it, you, just, you see these ones given all, all the time. I, I guess when you look back, <clears throat> sorry, when you look back at it, Guzan does spill it. And then he kind of goes to the ball. There is a coming together. So he naturally just goes to the ball that he's lost and he makes contact with a lower. I mean, it's just one of those where it's not malicious. It's not anything too bad in it. It's just a coming together. But I think it, I think it should have been a penalty. At least the referee should have, should have been told by VAR in his ear. Go go and have a look at this, and, and just just double check because it's a very marginal, it's a very very close call. But I think he should have he should have had a second look, unless the VR, VAR in his ear said, "Look, no way, it's a penalty. Move on." I, I find that very strange. I think if he would have gone gone to watch it on the on the side monitor, I think fine. Then at least he has a look at it again, and then he can make his call. But to 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 flatly deny it being a penalty straight from the off, I, I don't think that's how VAR should work, really. 
Yeah, look, I'm not the biggest advocate for VAR, but if it's going to be there, then you need to have it work to its full extent. And something like this should not happen again because I'm of the opinion and in agreement with you and with Phil Neville that that should have been a penalty kick. Listen, if it had been, if they'd given a penalty, I don't think I don't think there wouldn't have been many people from Atlanta that would say that's not a penalty, would they? It wouldn't have been up. At, it wouldn't have been up in arms. I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't know, man. I, you know, I mean, I don't think they would be. No, Brad, Brad Brad Guzan after the game said something along the lines of. You know, I'm allowed to go for the ball, and you know, if you trip over my outstretched arms, then that's not a penalty. Something along yeah, those lines. He's gonna say that, though, isn't he? He's gonna say that. Of course. But, <laughs> I mean, and Atlanta fans would probably say it's not a penalty kick if it was a penalty kick. I mean, you know, it just yeah. it, it just depends. It just depends. Now, look, Inter Miami had a couple of other shouts for a penalty kick in this game, or they could have. One came in the 60th minute. Santiago Sosa has a bad touch. Gonzalo Higuain takes the ball from him, dribbles upfield. Cuts by a pair of defenders and takes a shot towards goal. Now, a scrambling, lunging Atlanta United center back, Miles Robinson, deflects the ball over the frame out of bounds. But it looked on replay like it hit his outstretched arm. Gonzalo Higuain seemed like he was asking for a penalty kick, but nobody else really pleaded for it. Nobody else really—they didn't make a big fuss about that one. There was also one in the first half when— Rodolfo Pizarro took a shot that hit George Bello in the hand, clear as crystal, but George Bello's hand was closer to his body, so maybe that's why that call didn't get made or not looked at on VAR as well. But Inter Miami should feel a bit hard done by that they did not did not get at least one penalty kick, especially probably that last one. I do think it is tighter than maybe other people think but I do think it was a penalty kick I do think it was a penalty kick but I do think that it is it is tighter than most people are giving it credit for being it is yeah it is now I want to talk about the performance of the team because everyone's focused on the penalty kick maybe rightfully so but let's talk about the performance from the team because in the first half and Phil Neville said this in his post-game press conference he thought Atlanta United was the better team I agreed with that I thought they needed Federico Higuain at the start of the second half because Inter Miami just looked lifeless by and large from the run of play. He comes in fairly early. He doesn't come in at the start of the second half, but he comes in about 10 minutes later. And he helps change the complexion of the game for Inter Miami, gives them more creative ideas and helps turn the tide. Maybe wins back slightly bit more possession, but by and large, this performance, yet again, for, for me, from what I think, and how I view the game, I think it left a lot to be desired. I think Inter-Miami still has not played very well. I know fitness has been a talking point, and players have been missing, and players have been injured, and Inter-Miami was shorthanded here, playing Uyoa, for example, out of position and at, a right, at the right-back spot. But Inter-Miami needs to improve, because I'm of the belief that in order to win games consistently, or to give yourself the best chance of winning consistently, you have to play well, you can play poorly and win like we saw Inter-Miami do against the Philadelphia Union, but that's not something you can do consistently. It's very tough to do that consistently. Inter-Miami needs to improve, man. I, and I think there's a lot of things that need to be corrected. What do you think? What's your number one thing that you think Inter-Miami has to do better going forward? Let's say going into Wednesday's match. Yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're sounding like a, like a broken record here, but I mean, you know, it's it's just... Having like a you know a, a decent um, 
unit in, in, in the, uh, up front because it's just it's not working for whatever reason. And we keep going on about the DPs and we're going to touch it later on. But, you know, there's just no cohesiveness, really. There's no sort of solid sort of good interaction between Higuain and Pizarro. And, you know, Lewis Morgan was coming back to form yesterday, which was, which was great to see. Um, but, you know, again, the, just the, the big players just aren't, aren't, aren't delivering. And, um, you know, they're, they're able to keep it relatively sort of quiet at the back. But then they're just, you know, when it comes into that final third again, they're just they're misfiring, and that that's that's been a, a constant problem, isn't it? And it, it it could be a personnel problem. Maybe they're never going to get to the bottom of it. Maybe they do have to have a, you know, a try and move some people out and, and move some people in. But it's it's difficult, you know, it's difficult to try and get players on big wages or have a big fee to try and move them on to somewhere else, you know. So that it's a it's a problem it's it's a problem unfortunately that Phil Neville has in, inherited but he has to work with it that's his job he knows that that's his job to try and make it make it work but they've definitely got one eye on on potentially moving one two players out big players like Pizarro and, and possibly Matuidi as well who hasn't really impressed too much can can they swap them out for for, for a couple of players it's very very difficult in the market right now yeah, well it's very difficult to get rid of those salaries because yeah they it's just MLS and there's salary cap rules and and regulations. They just can't just up and get rid of them, especially no. if they want to recover some money that that they've invested in terms of, of Pizarro. Because if I'm not mistaken, they got Matuidi on on a free. Now, I do my regular analysis piece after every game, three takeaways and player ratings, and I want to touch on two of the takeaways here. Something you mentioned, but before we get into that, I want to touch about on the other point. And I'm very curious to hear your thoughts because we have not talked about this topic. And that is possession. Inter-Miami during preseason. And Phil Neville said it. Players said it. They want to be a possession-based high-pressing team. That's something they reiterated over and over and over again during preseason. I understand that they might not be able to be a high-pressing team right now because fitness levels are still not there yet. They're still working their way to peak fitness, although they have to be getting close at this point because they're four games into the year. But I understand that, okay, maybe high-pressing is not, it's not there yet. But the possession thing is problematic to me because if you look at the four games, they've lost the possession battle in every single game. And... Let's look at the numbers because, I, again, this is a talking point or a bullet point that I had in my piece today. Against the Galaxy, the 3-2 loss at home, LA Galaxy had 66.1% of possession. The 2-1 win at the Philadelphia Union, the Union had 53.1% possession. The 0-0 draw at Nashville, Nashville SC had 59.3% possession. And then in this one-to-one draw against Atlanta United at home, Atlanta United had 61.5% possession. So Inter-Miami has lost the possession battle. And in almost, well, in three out of the four cases, it's been close to 60%, if not more than 60% possession. Why do you think Inter-Miami is not this possession-based team yet that we heard in preseason? I guess because then, you know, Simply, they're just like they're not holding the ball up well enough. I guess they're they're getting the ball into that final third, and they're losing it, and it's breaking down, and it keeps on keeps on coming back. They're not able to to hold on to the ball f- for long enough, I guess, to affect those statistics. I mean, like you said, the the lowest one, fifty three percent, was when during the win. 
so that they won. So that shows that potentially they were more in tune with each other. But, um, you know, I guess against the Galaxy, 66% is, is a lot, isn't it? I would have, you know, you'd think that that, that is a, that's a quite a high number. And that means that they were chasing the game for a lot of it. And when you actually think back to it, although they they started sort of well in the first 10, 15 minutes, they were chasing the game as it as it went on. And, and Galaxy pretty much bossed it, apart from, you know, when they just got a, a couple of, um, you know, a cu- couple of goals. So um, the team, I guess, aren't functioning properly because they can't, keep hold of the ball. And I think that reverts, goes back to the fact that when it goes into Bizarro or whatever, he's slowing it down and then the move is breaking down um, and they're not able to recover it as much as, as, as possible. I do want to talk about the DPs because that's another point. But I want to stay on this possession topic because I think there's a lot of things attributing to this. And I think one of the biggest ones is that Inter-Miami doesn't have Un jugador de buen pie, which in English would be a player with a really good foot to help in the build-out on that first line of the midfield. And now we're talking where Greg, Gregori and Blaise Matuidi stand. Gregori's your number six, not necessarily his strong attribute to distribute and help create and build up plays. I think that's maybe something closer to what Blaise Matuidi is supposed to be doing for this team, but he's not doing it. Not consistently, not anywhere as good as you want. And I don't know, man. Again, with you combine that with his defensive frailties and, and issues, because we saw in this game, Joseph Martinez's goal is partially on Blaise Matuidi for not staying tight to his mark, something we talked about last week and how that was an issue against Nashville C on a couple of instances. Blaise Matuidi is not, not, not living up to the DP label, and he's not giving them that midfield play, that clean touch, that clean ability to build up, play through lines. It's just not happening. So that's, I think, is part of it. I also think, and I asked you this last week about English style of play. I've heard Phil Neville talk a lot during the season about transitions and looking dangerous on transitions and counterattacking. Was the, was the possession talk just talk, or do you think that they actually do want to be a possession team? Because, again, all we've heard since week one now is transition, counterattack, hitting on the break. So wh- what do you think Phil Neville's philosophy and mindset is for this team? No, that, that's, that's, how, that's how they want to play. But it's just, you know, the, the cliche, there's only so much the manager can do. Once they've crossed the white line, it's up to the players. And unfortunately, those players aren't producing. Look, if, if, it was in, if this was in an alternate universe and, you know, Pizarro was on fire and Betweedy was a, like a rampaging box-to-box midfielder and, you know, Iguain was feeding off everything, I mean, then that's how they want it. They want to have... Matuidi sort of bolstering the middle midfield. They want Pizarro buzzing around in that number 10 role, whatever. Just, I know you would say he's not a number 10, but that's how they kind of see him, you know, flitting in and out and just giving those little balls through to Iguain, who's going to finish nine times out of 10. That's what they want. It's not, it's not happening, is it? It's not happening. They're losing the ball, they're losing possession. Then they're, they're caught, you know, Matuidi's coming backwards and forwards and he's found wanting when he's trying to defend. It's not. It's not happening, and I just don't think they're particularly happy with the form of of Pizarro and and, and Matuidi, and it's a problem. There, there were times in this game, and again, this is not just a this game instance, not just a one game instance, because we could just say and isolate things on a one game instance and say, look, it could be a one off. But this has happened for more than one game, and this has even happened dating back to last season under a different head coach. They lose the possession battle very often. And it's because, again, I think they don't have players, good technical players, with 
a soft touch with the ability to play under duress. They just don't have that. And you saw it in this game. There were large spells throughout the match where Inter-Miami could not piece together five passes. They would pass the ball to the other team. They would lose the ball, play it out of bounds, have to hit a long ball. They just don't seem to have enough really good technical players on the field. That's just my opinion. They do on paper, though, don't they? They do on paper, but well, not look, in reality. Well, when Federico Higuain comes in, though, I think it changes. And I think that's when you see a little bit more. And that's when they start to have a little more possession. Because yeah. Federico starts playing. And I, I think you saw it in this game. Again, one of my talking points was about how he has strengthened his case to start possibly as soon as in Wednesday's match. Because he has more of a traditional number 10 style of play. He gives him more verticality in the attack with his through balls. He's a, he has that, that, that in his repertoire. He has one-time passing, two-time passing, or one-touch passing, two-touch passing. And he moves the ball a lot quicker and moves in and out of spaces a lot faster. And that helps keep the ball. And I think after he came on, he had two touches in one really good buildup. I'm blanking on what minute it was. I, I remember seeing it last night, and I watched it with my family. They wanted to see how I like analyzed the game. So... I remember rewinding that play in the second half twice or thrice, and there was one that they built up cleanly from the back to the front, but it was with Federico getting two touches throughout the sequence, and one of those he was dropped back in a deep position to help with the, the build-out. And I think that's what Inter-Miami is missing, someone that can cleanly get the ball into forward positions. But I do want to talk about Federico Iguain, because, again, I think he could probably start on Wednesday. I think maybe he's not 90 minutes fit. And, you know, last week we talked about this, and I, I or maybe two weeks ago, and I was like, well, I don't know if, he's, if he can play from whistle to whistle consistently. I will backtrack somewhat. I still have my questions on if he can play or go the distance on a regular basis. I don't think he can where he, he's at in his career. He's coming off a, a long, lengthy injury. Well, he came off a long, lengthy injury a year ago. So I don't know if he's got that in his game anymore. But with what they have with the starting group, it's just not working. Rodolfo Pizarro is not, not doing it as the 10. He didn't even start this game as the 10. Looked like Phil Neville wanted to try something else. But he ended up going back to the 10 once Matui came out with the injury. I think Iguain should start on Wednesday. I don't know if you, if you agree with that. If you think it's a risk because of his age and you know how much energy he can give you maybe he only lasts a half but yeah no i think he has to he's definitely got to got to change it up and he you know again on paper or you know he looks like the guy that can just do those easy passes keep it going just like he did against philadelphia that's what they miss they they haven't got that that guy just to to link the midfield and attack and i think that's where they've constantly fallen down in the past however long you know season and a third or whatever it is they haven't had that and I think Bizarro was supposed to be that guy it's not working for him so let's see what um, the older Higuain can do it's, it's going to be at night it's going to be a bit cooler um, which again may help just sort of take the sting out of um, you know the fact that the, the fatigue and stuff kicks in easier when it's uh, you know roasting hot at one o'clock in the afternoon so that, that's, a, that's a possibility but I think he, he's probably going to lean towards that I would have thought that is the word that's the correct word they don't have a link. They don't have the link between defense to attack. They don't have someone that can consistently help them build out. And I don't think that's a number 10 role. I think that's more of a number 8 role, someone that can help you 
get the ball from the back line to your attacking midfielders, midfielders and your striker. Now, obviously, the 10 is the one that's supposed to create, but they don't have a very good facilitator, a guy that can, like you just said, link the ball. Now, going back to Federico, Phil Neville raved about him when I asked him about him on Sunday. Let's hear what Phil Neville said about Federico Higuain after the draw with Atlanta United. With Federico, LA Galaxy, he was fantastic. Philadelphia won us the game. Today, he came on and he gave us that calmness and composure. Uh, I was going backwards and forwards whether to start him or to bring him on. I just think that at this moment in time, with the, the influence that he's having, the impact that he's having in that last 50, sorry, the last 40 minutes, 35 minutes of games, when the game becomes stretched, when the opposition become more fatigued and the game gets open, I think that's where he's got so much intelligence just to come on and he picks up the game, picks up the rhythm of the game, the speed of the game really quickly, which which is what he brings us. You know, he, he, I spoke to him yesterday, he's, he's not played 90 minutes in a long, long time because of his injury. So so he knows his worth to us. He's been, he's been sensational, I've got to say. And uh, today was another major impact from him. Uh, he gives the team a lift. He gives the team composure when everyone else is around. is is running fast and is emotional. He just brings a calmness to the uh, to the game. And uh, I'm I'm really pleased with Federico. That was a glowing review of Federico Iguain from head coach Phil Neville. But in there, one phrase that stuck out to me was that he said, "I was going back and forth between starting him and not starting him." That, to me, paints a picture that Phil Neville already has this seed planted in his head that he might need to start Federico Higuain. And again, I think this is the perfect opportunity this week to do so. You're coming off a game on Sunday, you're playing again on Wednesday, and you have another game on the weekend. There's going to be, naturally, a rotation of players here. And I think this is the opportunity, the best opportunity, to see what Federico Higuain can give you again Maybe he's not able to give you 90 minutes. But with teams having five subs right now because of the pandemic and schedules being condensed, I think that that kind of mitigates that from him, that that he can't go 90 minutes. I think that mitigates that. So you can sub him out in the 60th minute if you need to, if he's he's gassed. You can sub him off at halftime. But maybe you give him a start here. I think they should absolutely just give it a look, see what happens, and assess from there. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, no, I think... I think he has to make a call. They're definitely not pleased with with the way things have gone down in the last sort of few weeks. They're not getting enough from Pizarro. He's not showing enough, I don't think, whether or not that's rubbing off on, on other players and they're, partic- they're getting frustrated with him as well. That That's possible. Um, so there's, there's all different factors in, in place and maybe it just, you know, I mean, it's it's a big call, isn't it? You know, he could, um, you know, if he drops him to the bench, it, you know, that's, that's going to be a big call and then that could set the, the, the wheels in motion in terms of, his potential exit out of the club. Who knows? I'm, maybe I'm getting a bit overly dramatic, but I just think it, it, in order just to freshen it up a little bit, maybe take Pizarro out the firing line for now, bring elder, smaller Iguain in and see how he goes. And then if he needs to change it and bring him on, Pizarro on, then that's a that's a you know a good option to have. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd make a change because like I said, we keep on we keep on banging him every every week. It's it's not happening right now. I would keep Pizarro in the lineup. I would put him at the left midfield spot, which is where Phil Neville had him start this game against Atlanta United. That's not something we've talked about, but I do want to talk about this last point here before we wrap up this segment. Inter-Miami's 3DPs are not playing well. They are not living up to the standard they need to be. 
especially in a league like MLS where it's a salary cap league, you need your best players to perform consistently at a very good level to have a shot at doing anything of substance. And dating back to last year, the three of them have been wildly inconsistent, if not subpar. Gonzalo Higuain in this game had two very good looks on goal from the run of play, and he did not put away either. One might have been a handball. Okay, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there, although even then, maybe he should still finish. The other one is inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable that he missed the other one because he had Brad Guzan at his mercy. The goal was there. Someone of his class, of his caliber, is expected to put that ball into the back of the net, and he doesn't. That was a play in the 17th minute. He still has not scored from the run of play. I've said that. I've banged that drum since preseason, since the offseason, since the start of the season. He still hasn't scored it. We're talking 12 games now in Major League Soccer. Someone of his caliber, that's just not That's not what you're paying him the big bucks for. Switch over to Rodolfo Pizarro. Wildly inconsistent. Not influencing games. He's not a number 10. Again, they tried something different here. They tried to have Jay Chapman play the 10 with Pizarro out on the left. That's something that... Pizarro had mentioned was a possibility have him playing in other in other spaces or in other areas when we spoke to him last week when I asked him about Iguain's penchant for dropping back his habit for moving into areas where number 10 usually occupies or where number 10 usually occupies but and Pizarro said we're working on that it might be that I move into wider positions or wider areas and he started at left midfield in this one but that only lasted 10-15 minutes because once Matuidi came out of the game, they dropped Jay Chapman from the 10th spot. Pizarro went back to being the center attacking midfielder. And Jovan Jones, the substitute, came in to slot in on the left. So it was a very short-lived look at that system. I'm curious to see it. Maybe we can see it on Wednesday with Federico at the 10. Pizarro on the left wing and Jay Chapman with Gregori in that first line of the midfield. I think that's that's... What I would do, I don't know if that's what you would do. Yeah, I mean, he clearly likes uh, he likes Jay Chapman, doesn't he? I think he's definitely got a, got a lot of a lot of faith in him, uh, which is you know good 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 to see, but less faith in in, in the other players. So um, yeah, yeah, he could go in in many different ways, couldn't he? But I think the, the most important thing, hopefully, is that he's going to make he's gonna he's going to have to make a change because it's just yeah, it's frustrating when the ball goes out to Bazaar and then it just it just keeps on breaking down, doesn't it, for one reason or another. Maybe he's still struggling to adapt to the league. It's more physical than it is in Mexico, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, a season in now, he should really have been sort of more attuned into what's, what's going on. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're going to expect, you know, some 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 changes. And I, I want to see Federico Higuain start. It's just, I think it would just, I just think that just make them tick a lot, so much better than they are right now. I'll say this and then we'll wrap this up here because we've gone long here on this first segment. I think Pizarro is very low on confidence. And I think chemistry with the group in general is just not necessarily there. There were a few instances, and this is just me reading what I see, my analysis of the game with my two eyes, not any information I've heard. But there were times in the game where players didn't play him the ball. And I can understand that, because when you give someone a pass and they don't return it or they hold on to it too long like Pizarro frequently does. He turns himself into trouble so often just trying to needlessly playing in like two yards of space. Players aren't going to want to give you the ball. 
they're just going to be like, well, if I give him the ball, I'm not going to get it back. We're not going to keep it moving. So I thought players looked him off at least a couple times in this one. Whereas with Federico Higuain, you see a completely different, like completely different body language from the team. You see them give him the ball. You see the, him returning it with one, two touch passes. And I think Pizarro is really, really struggling, really, really struggling. And I don't know, like you've said, I don't know if he has much, much future with this team unless his performances pick up in a big way very, very soon. But we'll leave it at that. We'll come back after this quick break and we'll talk about the CF Montreal game coming up on Wednesday. Of course, we want to be the team that dictates play. And I think we're still learning as a team and we're still... Really, it's just about following the game plan and the coaches set out of us and trusting that process and we're going to have more more of the ball. Um, when we do do the things that is, are asked of us, we, we do control games and spells. Um, but, I mean, there's... Naturally, there's going to, every team wants to have more, the most possession of the ball, so whilst we want to have the most, the other teams do as well. Um, and I think we're, we're working on that every single day and it doesn't happen overnight. And with the players we have, eventually we will dominate games. Um, and I think, as I say, in spells we are doing that. So it's just about trusting the process that the, the manager and the coaching staff set out for us because when we do that, we do control moments in games and it's just about doing that more often, really. Okay, Steve, so Wednesday night... At Drive Pink Stadium, Inter-Miami plays the other team that's calling Drive Pink Stadium home right now, and that is Club de Foot Montreal, CF Montreal. Now, CF Montreal comes into this game with an identical record as Inter-Miami. They've won one game, they've tied twice, and they've lost once. And that loss came over the weekend against the Vancouver Whitecaps. From what I've seen on... Footage, what the one game that I saw them play this season, they have very dangerous attackers. They're very fast, good in transition, but they're also a team that likes to build out from back to front. However, they have not scored in five halves because they lost Mason Toy, who scored in their first two games of the year. And then since then, they've kind of had a, a tough time finding the back of the net and putting the ball into the goal. So, what do you expect from CF Montreal here, and what does Inter Miami need to do to pick up three points? Well, yeah, it's, it's difficult for them, isn't it? You know, they're, they're displaced because of the, the pandemic. They're, they're not, they're not obviously not settled. Um, you know, so I, I, you have some sympathy for them in, in this, you know, in, for this season, definitely. You know, um, but these, these, I think, considering their their record this season, uh, and considering Inter Miami are at home in inverted commas, you know, these are the games where they've really got to. They've got to try and just just go from the go for them from the from the start. Really put the pressure on. Try and you know influence the game with this, this you know pressing sort of tactic and, and and keep the possession and and try and you know wear them down. If they get an early goal, I think that will that will settle the nerves. But I think this is a this is a key. Game. I think this is probably the most important game of the season so far for definitely for Inter Miami in terms of just needing to get a result, three points, and will just sort of boost the confidence against a team that you know like I say just a little bit displaced and, and not in a, in a great run of form not to say that into Miami you know in an amazing run of form as well but you know they've they're four, four unbeaten now um, out of five um, so you know it's, uh, it's it's a good chance at home to get a win and then when you look at back at it four points from the, from those two games is acceptable two points or one point probably isn't Three unbeaten out of four. See, they've only yes. played four games this year. Terrible at math. No wonder. No wonder you're. No wonder you're a writer. English, English is my strong point. <laughs> no wonder you're a writer as well as as I. But 
Look, for me, the key to this game will be, can the players that step in step up? There's going to be a rotation of players. I don't think we'll see Ryan Shawcross in this game. By the way, I know you're high on him, and I've given him his plaudits, but he also had a subpar game and was partially at fault for that goal against Joseph Martinez. Just lack of marking there, or lacks marking. Martinez is a very, very good player, though, isn't he? Very good player. He would have done that, he would have done that to Franco Baresi in his day, I think. So. No, no. I'm not going to get into the argument. I'm not going to argue. I'm not, taking the, I'm not taking the bait. I'm not taking the bait because Ryan Shawcross, it was just way too easy for Joseph Martinez on the goal. Look at the replay if you haven't on Twitter or on Miami Total Football's YouTube page. It was way too easy for Joseph Martinez. But that's not why I think Ryan Shawcross doesn't start in this game. I think Ryan Shawcross doesn't start in this game because it's a short turnaround. And he has just played his first two 90-minute games over the past couple of weeks in a long time. So I don't think that they're going to want to overwork him or risk overworking him. I think we'll see Christian McCoon. When we spoke to Phil Neville last week in the lead-up to the game against Atlanta United, he mentioned Christian McCoon as a player that's in the mix for minutes, but it's going to get a look and that you know the young players need to, need to perform and show that they're at uh, adequate level. Christian McCoon did not play over the weekend. I assume we will see him start at center back in place of Ryan Shawcross next to Leandro Gonzalez-Pires against CF Montreal. So it's about how he performs. If Federico Higuain gets a start, how does he do? If, you know, Edison Ascona maybe, maybe gets a start because maybe they want to look at something else on the left wing. Maybe. Depends how he does as well. So I think the key for Inter Miami is how these reserves perform and if they can play to an adequate enough level because CF Montreal might not be a goal scoring machine right now again five halves without scoring but they do have dangerous players that can punish you especially Romel Kyoto give him space on the counter and the Honduran will absolutely punish you we've seen it over the years with the Houston Dynamo we've seen it a bit now with CF Montreal so Inter Miami has to be has to be careful there. Speaking of lineup changes, Steve, what changes do, would you make to the lineup? I know we talked about Federico Higuain. I know you said you would drop Pizarro, but any other changes you would make? Do you think that McCoon will start, or, or what do you think? Yeah, that's a good shout. I think maybe freshening up the freshening up the defense. Like you say, Ryan Shawcross hasn't really played much football in the last two years, um, so that that could be an option. He's a good guy. We saw it in the in the match in Nashville when he when he came on. And just sort of shored up, uh, shored up the back line. Uh, was it Nashville or was it Philadelphia when he came on? I can't remember. Now. He came, he came uh, in against Philadelphia at the end. He started. Sorry, he started playing against Nashville. Sorry. Um, yes, that, that 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 could freshen up. Like like you say, you know, they have Montreal have had a problem scoring, scored a lot in the first couple of games, and have been very very quiet since. So um, you know, it, and but that's into Miami's problem, isn't it? They can't. They, they're scoring the odd goal here and there, but just um, they need to. Com- Create more chances and put and put more away. So um, yeah, I think he should freshen it up in freshen it up at the back for sure. And then, like I say, bringing in Federico Higuain, I think will um, potentially you know could could solve a problem for them. Yeah, I'll, I'll just give a quick lineup prediction here as of today. We haven't spoken to Phil Neville. We ha- we will speak to him on Tuesday. We will speak to Jay Chapman on Tuesday in the pregame press conference, pregame availability. But this is what I think Inter Miami will go with, and maybe I'm being flattering in terms of how many of the same starters will play. But this is what I think. John McCarthy in goal, 
Victor Ulloa at right back. Leandro gonzalez Pires at right center back. Christian McCoon at left center back. Breck Shea again at left back. Gregory and Jay Chapman on that first line of the midfield. Second line will be Lewis Morgan. Federico Higuain at the 10. Rodolfo Pizarro on the left side. And Gonzalo Higuain up top. Maybe there will be more of a rotation. It's possible we could see players like Josh Penn or other players because of the need to keep legs fresh and keep players, especially older players like Gonzalo Higuain, healthy and fresh, not overwork them. Same as is the case with Ryan Shawcross, perhaps. But that's just my prediction for what I think will happen on Wednesday in terms of the lineup. Steve, do you have a prediction for the game? I agree with you that this is an important game for Inter Miami. Maybe not as important as the weekend game against Cincinnati because Cincinnati is a very bad team, a very poor team. But So I think that game is a very important game to win, to, to take those three points like everybody else is taking. But what do you think about this game? Is it a game that Inter Miami has to win? They'll have fans in the stands against Montreal. Montreal is playing at Dry Pink Stadium on a regular basis, but they don't have fans in the stands. So with fans in the stands against Montreal, coming off of two home games in which you've picked up one point, does Inter Miami have to win this one? I think it would do the confidence a world of good if they, if they, you know, it's not a must win. Not, not only four games in, it's never a must win at that stage of the season. But I think this will set them up nicely for that for that road trip to Cincinnati if they could just get the win. Um, you know, you kind of worry about them scoring, and then but then when they score, you're kind of worrying that they're going to let it let one in. So. Uh, I fancy a 2-1, 2-1 home win. I mean, obviously, the, the fact that Montreal obviously play here as well for the time being um, is an advantage for Montreal. It's not going to be, you know, any different for them other, other than the fact that obviously there's going to be a crowd there. But the surroundings, you know, the, the locker room, I know it's going to be a different locker room or whatever, but, you know, they're used to the surroundings and, you know, they, they're not obviously going to have to travel much too far for the game, obviously. So, um, you know, that element of it is taken away by a fancy 2-1 home win. They, they definitely know the field, right? They know the field. They've been playing on it for the better part of a month. I'm worried, man. I'm worried for Inter-Miami in terms of being able to pull this one out. I think Montreal is a team that builds from back to front and is dangerous in transition. So I could see this not going Inter-Miami's way. I could see a 1-0 loss. In, in this one, yeah, I, 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 I'm just worried about where, where the goals are going to come from. Unless Federico Iwain comes in and completely changes how the team plays from the start, and if Phil Neville makes that call because Phil Neville has to make that call, then I, I just don't know. I don't know if if Federico Iguain starts, it's okay. It's I, I would boost and improve their chances of winning. But without him starting, I'm I'm not sure I see enough from this team from the run of play at this point to say that they're headed in the right direction and can beat this Montreal team. Right? I mean, it's still early days. I mean, it is early days. They are only four games in, but, you know, these now's the time where we're going to see if they are actually making the progress. Well, I mean, I haven't seen I haven't seen many positives from possession or from the attack in these first four games. I just haven't seen it. And that's what, again, from an Inter-Miami standpoint, would worry me as the head coach of the team because, or just as someone, look, you know, analyzing the team because... How are they going to create chances? Is it going to be in transition? Who's going to put them away? Gonzalo Higuain's not putting the ball into the back of the net from open play. You have to think he's due for one, but he's not playing well. Rodolfo Pizarro's not playing well. Those are your two key attackers. I mean, Lewis Morgan's a key attacker, but based on, on paper and based on salary, 
Rodolfo Pizarro and Gonzalo Higuain should be the guys that are leading the attack rather than Lewis Morgan. So I'm 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 concerned for Inter Miami in this one. I'll say a one to zero loss. And something else that has to be noted really quickly before we close out this segment is that we don't know the status of Blaise Matuidi. That's why I'm predicting that he doesn't start. He came out of the game with an injury in the 14th minute against Atlanta United. I saw that he took pictures with some fans after the game. So it looked like he was in fairly decent standing. Didn't seem like he was, it didn't look as grave as it did when he came out of the game and he was holding on to like his chest area. So maybe he can go, maybe, but it's, it's unclear as of right now. Steve, let's take another quick break. We'll come back for our Q&A session and our final thoughts after this. All right, Steve, Q&A time. The first one comes from Austin Robillard. Was it a penalty? Was it a penalty? Why are you saying yes? And he puts in parentheses, yes, I meant to put that first question twice. And would love to hear your thoughts on Federico Iguain and his impact after we had our halftime talk at the stadium, bro. So Austin Robillard has onside radio. He has a show on onside radio that he does. We spoke at halftime of the game at Drive Pink Stadium this past weekend. I told them that they needed to put Federico Higuain in immediately. We've touched on what we thought his influence on the game was. So I'll, I'll spare from repeating that part. Was it a penalty? We've also answered that. We've both said yes, and we've both said pretty much why we think so. Unless you want to add something there, Steve. No, I mean, you know, it's just when you look at it closely, it does look like he went for the ball, but there was definitely contact in the box. Um... I, don't, I just think the best way to look at it is if it had been given, I don't think anyone would be looking at it and think, oh, that's, that's a terrible decision. That's not a penalty. Was it, because it wasn't given. It does look like a bad decision. I don't know if that makes sense, but, you know, that's that's just the kind of way it is. It, it's it's one of those. You can under, kind of understand why they didn't give it, but it, 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 looks, it looks bad. Yeah, and I'll just add that I do think that it should have gone to VAR. Again, that's why VAR is there. It's supposed to look at these plays that are very tight but I guess they didn't think it was clear and obvious a clear and obvious mistake from the ref on the field which I guess plenty of us have have disagree with but at this point you have to move forward because there's another game coming up on Wednesday now next question comes from Lloyd Halebrun and this is a two-part or two-tweet question can you please explain this team's roster construction to me they have an injury to a starting forward and they have to start a midfield at forward. They have almost no pace in the attack and have two DPs that can't run onto a through ball. Their top two offensive subs are 36 and 17 years old. They have an injury to a right back, so they start a defensive midfielder there. They get an injury to a midfielder in a game and replace him with a left back. Shouldn't a team roster of 30 players have a competent backup for each starting position? I mean, I'm sure that's a question Phil Neville asked when he took the job, is why there are various holes in the in the roster. But then, uh, again, we're going over old ground. I don't think the way they maybe constructed the roster in the first place um, worked. And we've seen that by the amount of people that have actually left 
the club since um, you know having been brought in by by the previous regime. So I think we're we're kind of counting the cost for the sort of uh, mismanagement of, that's gone before them. Yeah, I think that's a big or the biggest point is that a lot of the roster that was inherited was one that was made last year from the previous regime and it's going to take time to work their way out from that there's probably pieces on this roster that phil neville and chris henderson do not want but you can't just completely scrap everyone in a league like mls and just get rid of everyone and then sign everyone in in one window it takes time so i think that's part of it i think there's also like we've said a lack of depth and that's again just some just natural byproduct of what of what's happened in terms of trying to reshuffle the roster or rebuild the roster but i would expect that some players move either in the summer or at the end of the season or a good amount of players not just a few players i would expect a, a good few probably maybe a big name or two because again doesn't seem like this is the roster that Phil Neville has in mind for his greater vision for the team, nor is it what maybe Chris Henderson wants for his team. I guess, again, that's just my viewpoint from, from the outside, not information I have. Next question comes from Gabe P. Why does he insist on Jones when Escona is playing so good and has potential to be a wonder kid? Chapman on the left side is also a no-no in my book. Who do you think should start on the left on Wednesday? Can you please cover the Fort Lauderdale team? Would love to hear an analysis on it weekly. So, Steve, you can answer the first couple of questions there. I mean, Asconi is, 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 is a guy that's got great potential, but he's just very, very young, isn't he? He's just a kid. I mean, just come through the, just come through the, youth, the youth setup. Um, you know, whereas, you know, Jovin Jones is, is a seasoned international player, a seasoned MLS player, and I just think, you know, the team that's kind of, Strongly define its own identity or whatever. I think just chucking, um, you know, young kids. I'm sure I don't know if I've ever mentioned the class of '92 Man United level, <laughs> and a lot of guys, you know, but you know, they were criticised at the time famously for, you know, you won't win anything with kids. But they they still had what I'm trying to say is they still had a, you know, some very experienced players alongside them. And I think in uh, in this team they need experience over the youth right now. I think one if they're in a good run of form. You know, then you could start bringing in those guys like Escona um, to to start maybe more regularly. But I think right now you've got to you've got to go with go with experience. I think it's as simple as that, really. I'm of the thought that if you're good enough, you play at whatever age. But I don't think right now Escona is good enough. On the whole, does he have st- strong qualities, strong starting points? Technically, yes. And you saw some of those in his. 10 minute or so cameo over the weekend including on one play where he brought the ball down with his chest like a cross field switch brought it down with his chest controlled it in one pretty fluid fluid motion then did a step over he has good starting points and starting points that can excite you but i don't think he's ready yet on the whole especially physically he needs to put on some muscle we touched on that last week so i think longer term he will get a lot of starts but I don't think right now Phil Neville thinks that he's fully ready to start a game but maybe that changes on Wednesday maybe the rotation of players will see Edison Ascona start especially given that other players are not necessarily performing that well in the attack so maybe maybe but again I don't think he's he's physically ready to start games consistently and I think that's what Phil Neville sees as well again just my sensation not information or anything I've heard. 
Next question comes from Fighting Herons. If you were to set up the team solely for Pizarro to succeed, what would that look like? What is his best position as a number eight in a midfield of a 4-3-3? That was a question mark. Uh, or that comes with a question mark. Steve? The $20 million question. What is his best position? Because no one knows. Even Rodolfo Pizarro doesn't really know what uh, is it. I mean, I'm disappointed uh, in your... In your Lack of wit there, because the question says, if you were to set up a team solely for Pizarro to succeed, what would that team look like? I thought you were going to say, like, crap, or come up with something witty there. Um, well, if he's on the bench, <laughs> maybe put him on the bench. Maybe that, that, that's what it is. Um, look, I think, I think a number eight spot would be good for him. I think he's technical enough that maybe he could be that link that we talked about earlier that they don't have. Maybe. Maybe. Because at a 10, he's not cutting it. I'm interested in seeing how he plays out on the left in Phil Neville's structure and Phil Neville's setup if Phil Neville wants to try that again at some point later on when he has a few more healthy bodies. But if he doesn't cut it at left midfield, put him at the 8. See if he can give you that build out because he does have good technical abilities. Now he has to release the ball a lot faster, a lot quicker, make faster decisions. He can't dawdle on the ball there like he does when he's in attacking positions. Otherwise, he'll get stripped of it and teams will have quick transitions towards goal but I think maybe that's another possibility or a possibility that we could see further down the line because again in the attacking spots it's just not it's just not working right now no it's not I don't think it hasn't really worked at all but I think I, you know we, we joke or whatever but the frustration is is that they probably see a good player in him and he's an international player you know he came with good standing etc etc and that's the frustrating thing is that this is not like an unproven player. This is an international player who's just, for some reason, whatever the reason is, it's not happening for him on the on the field, and that's that's the thing. And you know, the owners paid good money for him. If they want to get rid of him, they want the money back, and he's just not a very sellable asset right now. I don't think there's going to be many clubs queuing up to sign him. So, look, let's let's hope that. Phil Neville can unlock the uh, the mystery of Rodolfo Pizarro and um, turn him into something, but I think time is time's running out, and I think frustra- I think patience is is sort of beginning to wear thin now. You didn't answer the question directly though. Where would you put him? What do you think? Where would you put him if you were just building a team around him and thinking, okay, we gotta we gotta play around this player's best qualities? Where would you play? Him? I mean, he's not a ten. He's not a ten. Clearly, so. Um, what is he then? What is he? What what is he? I've had this conversation with you in the past. He's an eight, in my opinion. I think he's an eight. That's just where I would see him play. I think that's. But then where that, that doesn't fit in with their system. If you've got the sort of holders like Matuidi and Gregore. Well, Matuidi's not cutting it either, right? So. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't. It doesn't seem to fit. It's like a like a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't seem to fit anywhere. It's just a, you know, you know, he was Diego Alonso's guy. All this sort of stuff. I mean, He's supposed to be the playmaker, isn't he? I think he's an 8 or or a 10, but he's not, he doesn't do either. So I, I, I just don't know. Okay. Don't know. Well, the next question might make you have to think about it a little more because the next question comes from Brandt, and he says, Every analysis I've heard says Pizarro's an 8, and we're trying to make him a 10. Safe to say not going great. Have we thought about, I don't know, playing him as an 8? Matuidi always gets subbed out and Fede always gets subbed in. How about Fede and Pizarro in the midfield? Crazy, too risky defensively. Again, I think I think they'd be overrun as well. But they don't have got the legs, have they, to get up and down like that? I don't think uh, I don't think that would fit in to their defensive sort of game plan. 
I'm see again. I don't know how Pizarro would do on that first line of midfield defensively. I don't know if he'd be lax with his marking like Blaise Matuidi is. If he could close down space in terms of the reading of the game on a defensive side, I'm not sure. But I think that could be a spot for him in the future, in the short term future. Because again, Blaise Matuidi's not cutting it for me. He's just not. He's not doing enough with the ball to make up for his liability or deficiencies defensively. And with Gregory in there, who does a lot of the dirty work, a lot of the recuperating the ball, recovering the ball, why not? Why not try him with Pizarro? And yeah, maybe you have to bench Blaise Matuidi, but Blaise Matuidi's not cutting it. So I think Pizarro has technical abilities that should work ideally, at least on paper, somewhere on the field. And that could be at the eight spot. That's just, again, what I think... Maybe Phil Neville at some point gives him a try there, gives him a look there, and maybe that would work. Maybe he has the technical enough of touch to help be that link that can, again, not create necessarily, but can distribute. And one last thing I'll note there, Pizarro does do a lot of running, a lot of defensive covering of ground. You see that at when he's at the 10 spot. He has to press high often because Gonzalo Higuain just doesn't have it in him at this point in his career, doesn't have that much energy. So when Inter-Miami's in a defensive posture often, and the Inter-Miami tries to press, it looks like they're in your famed and fabled 4-4-2 because Pizarro's always pressing into advanced positions, kind of in a parallel line with Gonzalo Higuain. So he does put in a lot of work. He does have enough energy to maybe cover ground in the center of the park. I would be curious to see him play at, at the 8 spot instead of Blaise Matuidi. And if he doesn't cut it there, then alright, ship him off or find a team in Mexico that will take him and be done with him. But I think you have to try to give him a look there because the 10's not working and he's not a 10. So Yeah, it's a big call though, isn't it? You, you know, you, you, you're sort of ripping up your game plan and putting your faith in someone that's probably not going to try back as often as Blaise Matuidi would do. It's a difficult call. The next question comes from Roger T. What is up with Valencia? He isn't making the first team, even on the bench, and he isn't being loaned back to Fort Lauderdale. I would think they would want him to get some playing time. So, Steve, I've heard that Felipe Valencia is dealing with an injury. I've been told it was a groin injury, and that's why he hasn't appeared yet. Because the plan was for him, like Georgia Costa, who's on Inter-Miami's roster to be loaned to Fort Lauderdale CF for the season and to get minutes there and develop there for much of this year. We've seen Felipe Valencia in social media posts training with Fort Lauderdale and around the players on that team, but he hasn't played yet. But I'm told it's because of a, of a groin injury that he's working his way back from. So I would expect at some point you see him start to play for Fort Lauderdale CF because, again, he's around them, he's in training with them, so... The idea is that he will eventually be able to, to, to play for them. But that does it for the Q&A session on this week's show. Steve, give us your final thoughts, and I'll give mine, and we'll wrap up after that. Yeah, no, I think, you know, again, um, look, they've, they've done okay so far this season. I think now they need to get a few, a few wins in the, in the belt, in the bank, and um, a home game against a team that are struggling and an away game against a team that have been really struggling even though they have got a striker called Brenner. Um, we'll get to that maybe another time. <laughs> your favorite, that's your favorite player in MLS. I texted you that one time. 
He is, he is. And I actually let MLS know. Look, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm delighted to have signed and I just got nothing back from them. So, um, they need to look. Six points would be great. I think, I think just Wednesday's key. If they can just get a win, and then, um, you know, and then I'd like to see all these different parts that like we talked about: Bizarro and Higuain and between all sort of, you know, getting into action. But I think we're going to see, you know, uh, in the few, in the next few weeks, we're going to start seeing stories. I think certainly once the big leagues in Europe you know finish playing and the player availability and the transfer windows reopen I think we're going to see a few names flying around so it should be interesting in the next few weeks certainly to see uh, to um, you know who's coming who's coming just quickly we didn't mention this Ashley Young uh, for Man United winger midfielder who's now at Inter Milan who's just actually won uh, the Serie A title with Inter Milan um, was linked with Inter Miami um, in the whole Inter link up there but I'm, I'm told that's a non-starter so there you go before I get to my final thought, I do want to ask you something that you just mentioned and popped into my head. Six points is the ideal scenario for Inter Miami. What's your prediction on how many points they do get over these next two games? Against CF Montreal at home and at FC Cincinnati on the road in FC Cincinnati's new stadium opener. So the crowd's going to be rocking there. How many points does Inter Miami get this week? Well, because of that and because of the occasion, whatever, I'm going to go for four points. Three points on Wednesday and then a point of the weekend in front of a raucous Cincinnati crowd. Okay. I will say three points. I predicted a loss on Wednesday, a 1-0 defeat. I think that they'll win on Sunday. I know that having a crowd behind and you know the emotions of that, that does tend to push teams on. But I think Cincinnati, just quality-wise, is so poor that Inter-Miami will be able to manage that and win that game. So I would say three points. I'll ride the fence here and say maybe four, like you, if Federico Iwain gets the start on Wednesday. But my final thought is something that happened late last week, and that is that Harvey Neville signed with Fort Lauderdale CF. Now, initially when we saw him in training, we found out about his arrival to South Florida. It was said that it was just a training exercise that he was around just to be with Father Phil and spend some time after being apart for a good bit. That never really passed the sniff test for me, especially when we saw Harvey Neville start in that last preseason inter-squad scrimmage. He's supposed to be playing for Fort Lauderdale CF this season, but I would not be surprised if we see him on an MLS on the MLS team by the end of this year or at the start of next year. I think we've seen instances of this in the past in MLS where father brings in son. So whether you agree with the decision or not, I would not be surprised if Harvey Neville's on Inter-Miami's roster at some point or plays in an MLS game at some point in the relatively near future. But that does it for this show. We will be back again next week. We're not going to do another pod after Wednesday before Sunday's match because I think the turnaround will just be too tight, after, especially after listening to this pod. I don't know if you guys will want to hear our voices that many times in the week. But if you do, we flirted with some something new over the weekend. We did Twitter spaces and thought that was pretty fun exercise, a cool exercise. Yeah. So we'll probably do something like that, like an impromptu Miami Total Football Radio Twitter space on Friday. And not sure what time yet, but make sure you stay tuned to that. Maybe we'll set up a time on Thursday. But 
that does it for now. Enjoy the game if you're headed out to the stadium on Wednesday. We'll see if Inter-Miami can start winning consistently and winning at home because they have yet to do so. But for Steve Brenner, I am Franco Panizo. We'll talk to you guys again 